Hello there, Darren Alf here from BicycleTouringPro.com. I am in the desert outside of Taos, New Mexico right now in the United States, in the southern United States. And for the last two months or so, I have been traveling around the American Southwest with two bicycles and a van. And that van is what I'm going to be talking about today in this special podcast. I'm going to be talking about van life, my first two months living in a van. Now, people know me as the Bicycle Touring Pro because for the last 17 years, since 2001, I've been traveling around the world on a bicycle and teaching people like you how to conduct their own incredible bicycle touring adventures. But this autumn, rather than going on another big bike tour in some foreign country like I usually do, I decided to try something a little bit different and travel in a way that I've never traveled before. So what exactly am I doing? Well, in late September of 2017, I took off in a van, a used van that I purchased from a used car lot in Oxnard, California. And in the van, I put two bicycles and pretty much everything I own, computer, clothes, camping equipment, all the stuff I need for bicycle touring, etc. And I set out on a three-month-long road trip across the American Southwest. I drove from my parents' house, which is up in Ventura, California area, um, down the coast to San Diego, California, where I visited with my aunt and uncle for a little while. Then I traveled east towards the Anza Borrego Desert, which is the largest state park in all of California. Then I continued east to the state of Arizona, where I went to the cities of Prescott, Sedona, and Flagstaff. Did some biking in each of those three places. Then I continued up to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. Did some bike packing there. Continued on to Monument Valley. Rode across Monument Valley on my bike. Stayed in Mexican Hat, Utah for a little while. Then I drove to Durango, Colorado. And north to the resort town of Aspen, Colorado. My, my sister... I have a little sister, um, she's a few years younger than me, but she lives near Aspen, and uh, so I went and just visited with her and her boyfriend for a couple days, and then I drove south to this tiny town called Buena Vista, Colorado, where I did a bunch of road cycling and off-road mountain biking. And then finally, I drove south from Buena Vista, Colorado to the state of New Mexico and into the city of Taos, which is where I am now. Actually, I'm about 18 miles outside the city of Taos, just in the desert, in the van. So anyways, that's kind of the trip that I've been on for the last two months. That's two months of travel, driving and biking and just doing like regular life stuff, like visiting my sister. And from here, I'm going to continue south to the city of Santa Fe, Albuquerque, potentially going to Tucson, Arizona, and then I will go back to my parents' house in Southern California uh, for Christmas and New Year's and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm doing right now. The, the big thing that I wanted to talk about today is kind of um, some of the lessons that I've learned, some of the things that I've realized being out here on the road in my van with my bicycles. And if this sounds like 
the sort of thing that you want to do in the future. Hopefully I'll have some tips or something for you that you can use on your own van life slash bike touring adventures. So I think one of the first questions I need to tackle is why try the van life in the first place? Now, a lot of people, when when I announced that I was going to be going off on this van trip, they kind of thought that I was abandoning bicycle train altogether. But it's important to note that I haven't given up entirely on bicycle touring. It's just that I'm bicycle touring in a slightly different manner at this particular moment. Instead of using my bicycle as my one and only means of transportation, like I usually do on my bike tours all around the world, I'm using my van to carry me and my bicycles and all my stuff to some of the most interesting and bike-friendly locations in the American Southwest. And then once I'm in those locations, I simply unload the bicycles from my van and I go on a bike ride. Now, in some of the areas that I visited, I've only gone on short day rides. And and technically that's not bicycle touring, that's just a bike ride. Um, But in other locations, I've done overnight bike tours. I've done a couple uh, two day uh, trips and that's kind of what I'm focusing on on this particular bike tour is showing you bike tours that you can do in a weekend. Two days, one night, an amazing bicycle train adventure in a very short amount of time because I know after running Bicycle Train Pro for 10 years now that a lot of people want to go on bicycle train adventures. They just don't have a lot of time. Time is such a big restrictor for so many people. So I wanted to show you guys on this trip that if you have a free weekend, you can conduct an amazing bicycle tour. All you need is two days, one night, and a bicycle, and you're good to go. So I've done a couple overnight bike tours, and in some of the places I've gone, like visiting my sister or whatever, um, I've done little to no cycling at all, and, and I just was there to live, work, and travel out of my van. So I've already hinted on a little bit like why I wanted to try this whole van life bike touring thing, um, but let me talk for a moment about why I personally wanted to try the van life for myself. Van life, as you might know, is kind of in the social zeitgeist at the moment. It's a popular trend on Instagram and YouTube and other popular social media platforms. Lots of people are living in their vans now and traveling around. It's kind of a cool thing to do. It potentially saves you money over, you know, paying for rent and having a car and all that kind of thing. Um, If you can figure out a way to, to work from the road, as I have, then van life is potentially a very nice way of living. So... I I actually have probably about five personal friends that have also done van life trips of their own. I have one friend, um, uh, he's married to, you know, his wife, obviously, but uh, they live in a van during the summertime only. Uh, During the winter, they have a place that they stay, but during the summer, they they live and and work and travel out of their van. I've got another couple um, of friends who recently completed like an 11 month long van trip across Europe. And now they are doing the van life thing here in the United States and North America. And I also have another friend who's a professional skier and she kind of temporarily, uh, every once in a while will hit the road and, and live out of her van. So I have quite a few friends that have done it themselves. I've seen all of their vans myself in person and 
I don't know. The van life thing just has appealed to me for a lot of different reasons, and I, I wanted to try it for myself. So now that I've been on the road for about two months or so in the van, I can tell you that van life is a lot like bicycle touring, actually. Like, they seem very, very different, but they're actually very, very similar. Because ultimately, like, you pack up everything you own, you drive or bike a certain distance each day, and then you find a place to eat and sleep in the evening. And and that's basically it. So van life and bicycle touring have a lot more in common than you might think. Another big reason that I wanted to try traveling in a van is because I've already cycled across the United States in six different directions. A lot of people don't know that um, because it was kind of done before I ever started Bicycle Touring Pro. And this was back in the day when digital cameras did not exist. And so I wasn't really taking pictures or video from any of my early bike tours. And and I think like, like I did a bike tour across America in 2002 and I had one roll of film. So I probably took 12 pictures or something like that on the entire trip and and half of them were crappy and basically like pictures of my feet or whatever so I've cycled across the United States six times and I just didn't want to do it again like I just honestly I don't have it in me to bike across America at this particular moment in my life I've done it six different times I I just don't know if I could do the the, the long haul uh, one more time that being said I have a lot of readers here in the United States. In fact, most of Bicycle Touring Pro readers are from America. And so I wanted to show Americans that there are a lot of amazing places to go bicycle touring not far from where they live. And I thought the best way for me to do that would be to drive to these places in a van and do a bike tour in that specific area, really concentrating on that particular place. So that's what I've been doing on this trip. And it's something that maybe I couldn't do if I were biking across America and just trying to go from one end to the other as quickly as possible. So I just wanted to show off America without having to necessarily bike all the way across America one more time. Finally, the last and probably the biggest reason I decided to try van life now is because, as many of you know, I was recently diagnosed with cancer. And I've basically been in the recovery process ever since. It's, it's been almost two years, to be honest. But um, since getting cancer, having surgery, receiving treatment from my doctors, and all of that, like, I, I haven't just been, like, sitting in bed. Um, I've actually cycled across nine different countries in Europe, North America, and South America since being d diagnosed with cancer and receiving all my treatment and everything. So I've done quite a bit of bike touring since then. However, in early 2017, late 2016, I did a three-month-long bike tour in South America across the countries of Colombia and Ecuador. And even though I enjoyed my cycling experience in those two countries, I was really, really struggling at the time. Um, and there were, there were moments when I was about to call off the whole trip and just go home early. Um, there were a lot of problems that I was having actually during my bike tour in South America. Uh, I couldn't find a lot of healthy food to eat. I'm a vegetarian and finding vegetarian food was almost impossible in a lot of the little towns that I was going through. I was also battling like severe anxiety attacks 
and and these anxiety attacks made me feel dizzy, uh, like I was going to pass out. And there were several times um, during my trip where I basically like fell to the floor because I thought I was going to lose consciousness. Um, I was hospitalized on two separate occasions when I was in Ecuador. And ultimately, at the end of the trip, I lost more than 12 pounds simply because I was doing a lot of exercise and not eating a lot of food. So I came home from that bike tour in South America. And to be completely honest, I was beat. I think I realized at the time that maybe going off to these uh, difficult foreign countries at this point in my life is maybe not the best idea in the whole world. That being said, I did spend this summer, this past summer, cycling across Sweden, Finland, and Norway uh, in Northern Europe for three months. And that trip went a whole lot better than my South America trip. I really didn't have uh, much of the dizziness or anxiety attacks that were bothering me so much in South America. Um, and I was eating a whole lot better as well. I came back from that trip having not lost any weight at all. So, uh, yeah, the food in Europe was a whole lot better than the food in South America. So anyways, when it came time for me to start planning my next big bike tour, I decided that I was going to stay away from some of those difficult, far away bicycle turn destinations, even though like I would personally like, like to go to some of those places. For example, I really want to go to Morocco. Um, but I just think because of how far away it is from everywhere and because it's maybe not the, you know, healthcare is not top notch there. It's probably a destination that I'm going to have to stay away from for a while. So anyways, uh, I figured that this might be the perfect opportunity for me to try the van life. I, I have actually not had a car for years. I got rid of my car. I had a Ford Explorer, I think back in 2006, and I may have gotten rid of that car in 2007. So it's been about 10 years since I've actually had a car. So the first step to this whole trip was figuring out which type of van I wanted to buy. And I spent a lot of time looking at camper vans, cargo vans, utility vans, all that stuff on the internet. I watched like all of the van life videos on YouTube, talked to my friends who've done some of the van life traveling themselves. And after all of my research, I decided not to buy an official camper van or even a cargo van of any kind. Instead, I decided to buy a minivan. <laughs> Hello, soccer mom. So there are three main reasons that I opted for a minivan instead of a big cargo van or a camper van. Campers and cargo vans are pretty expensive. That's the first thing. I just didn't want to spend a lot of money on a new van. And on the other hand, I was a little nervous about buying a cheap used van that might have mechanical issues once I got out on the road. So ultimately, yes, I just wanted to spend less money. I'm a cheapskate. I know it. So ultimately, money had a lot to do with my decision. Second of all, I wanted a vehicle that was going to be relatively fuel efficient. I didn't want to have a big vehicle that sucked up a lot of gas and money. Um, you know, I'm uh, like I said, I'm a cheapskate. I don't want to spend a lot of money. So I don't want to pay money up front for the van. And I don't want to pay a lot of money once I get out on the road. I wanted to have a, a vehicle that got good gas mileage. 
and uh, wouldn't be too costly for me to drive long distances. Um, I, I just didn't want to have this big van that like I was afraid to drive five miles because I know that that five miles is going to cost me so much. So again, money had something to do with it there. Finally, I wanted to get a vehicle that was relatively stealthy because I do a lot of stealth camping on my bicycle tours and I personally love this form of traveling. Stealth camping, if you don't know, is where you camp in an area and you may or may not be allowed to camp there overnight, but you basically camp there. No one knows that you're there, and then you move on the next morning without anyone noticing that you were even there. So I do that on my bike trips, and I wanted to do that in the van as well. I wanted a vehicle that if someone were to see it, they wouldn't instantly think to themselves like, I bet you there's somebody sleeping in that van. I better call the cops. Um, no. Instead, I wanted the vehicle that I could park in an urban or suburban environment and no one would even suspect that I was inside the van and sleeping. And a minivan, because of the way it looks, just blends in completely uh, to an urban or suburban environment. Whereas a big camper van, a, you know, a sprinter van or something like that, um, it's pretty obvious that there is somebody camping in that vehicle. So, in the end, what kind of car did I get? I settled on a white 2011 Dodge Caravan that I found for sale at my local CarMax, which is like a used car dealer. Um, the car had approximately 55,000 miles on it when I bought it, and it came with like a bunch of little extra features that I wanted in, in my van, such as a roof rack. Um, it had an additional 110-volt electrical outlet, which I could use to plug in all my various electronics when the car was on. And most importantly, this particular van has a special feature where the seats in the back of the van, the middle of the van and the back of the van, the seats fold down flat into the floor of the car. So if you aren't using all of the seats in the van, you fold down the seats and the entire back of the van is flat and flush with the floor. And that's what I was looking for. So the Dodge Caravan that I bought, like it normally has seating for seven people. However, I knew that I wouldn't need seating for seven people. Instead, I knew that I was gonna need lots of room for storage. And I knew that if I could rip out the middle row seats in the van, I would have a huge area in the floor of the van where I could safely store all my belongings. So that's exactly what I did uh, during my first day with the van actually, is I ripped out the two middle row seats in the van and in the floor space under the van where those seats normally fold down into, there is now a big empty pocket basically. Um, it's about as big as, gosh, I don't know, like a trunk that you could climb inside almost basically. Like a big old, you know, those big trunks that people store clothes and I don't know, like uses memory boxes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's about that big in the floor of my van. So I now have that space that I am using for storage. And there's there's also a bunch of other things that I've done in the van to add additional storage and and I'll be adding some more storage maybe in the future. I'll talk about that in just a moment. So now that you know what kind of vehicle, what kind of van I'm using on my van life bike tour, you're probably also wondering what kind of bicycles I brought with me on this particular trip. And because I'm traveling in a van and because I've got the space for it now, I decided to travel across the American Southwest with two very different bicycles. 
The first bike that I brought with me is my trusty Comotion Cycle Siskiyou Touring Bicycle, which happens to be the same bicycle that I used on my recent bike tour across Sweden, Finland, and Norway earlier this summer. This is my road-based touring bicycle for my van life bike tour, and I've been using this. Um, I used it in San Diego, in the Anzabrego Desert, in Prescott, uh, up in Colorado a bit, and I'm basically using it as my paved road traditional touring bicycle. It can go off-road, um, and you will definitely see me uh, doing that in my future videos that I'll post soon on Bicycle Touring Pro's YouTube channel. But for the most part, I'm using my Comotion Cycles Siskiyou Touring Bicycle as my road-based touring bike. The second bike that I brought with me on the van trip is a bicycle that I actually just received at the start of the tour, and it is a Chumba USA Ursa 29 plus mountain bike. And it's a bicycle that's designed specifically for off-road bike packing adventures. So I have one bicycle for traditional road-based bicycle touring, and I have another bicycle designed for mountain biking, off-road riding, and short bike packing trips. And I'll be publishing a, a complete review of both my Comotion Siskiyou uh, touring bicycle and the Chumba Ursa 29 Plus on BicycleTouringPro.com at some point in the very, very near future, so stay tuned for that. But for now, I guess you should just know that I really like both bicycles. Um, they're, they're designed for totally different things, so it's hard for me to say like which one is better. Um, I honestly like them both equally, uh, if that's even possible. You know, it's just that I'm, if, if I'm doing a road-based bike tour, I would definitely choose the co-motion bicycle. Whereas if I'm doing an off-road uh, bikepacking trip, I'm definitely going to use the bicycle by Chumba USA. So, yeah, it just depends. Um, that's honestly like one of the things, one of the biggest questions that people send me as the Bicycle Touring Pro is they, they tell me like, hey, I want to go on a bike tour. What kind of bike should I buy? And I always have to write them back and be like, well, it depends. Where, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Because the bike that you buy and the bike that you use ultimately depends on the landscape that you're going to be cycling through. So you'll see that in my future videos. You'll see me uh, switching back and forth between these two bicycles based on the type of riding that I suspect I'm going to be doing on any particular ride. Okay, so one of the big issues that so many people have with living in a van is the fact that your space is limited, right? Now, most people who come to van life are having to downsize. They're, they're used to living in a big house or a big apartment, and then they have to squeeze everything they own into this small little van. For me, <laughs> things are kind of the other way around because for the last 17 years or so, I have essentially been living off of my bicycle. Almost everything I own, I can fit on my bicycle. And I, I have traveled around the world for months and months and years sometimes on end uh, without coming home. So I'm very used to traveling with very few possessions. My bike, my my pannier bags, my clothing, toiletries, my computer, a couple, per, you know, personal items or whatever, and that's it, you know? So for me, moving into a van was actually like a step up. 
Whereas other people, they're having to downsize in order to fit everything that they own inside the van. For me, suddenly I was like, wow, I have all this room. I can carry all this extra stuff that I wouldn't necessarily be able to carry with me if I were just doing a traditional bicycle tour. So um, that was really, really nice. Is like, there's a lot of stuff in my van now that I definitely would not be carrying if I were just traveling on my bicycle. Now, that being said, storage has been one of my biggest problems with traveling in my van. And it's not that I have a lot of things because I don't. It's just that there are a lot of things I'm still not like 100% sure where to put them so that they're out of the way. And so it doesn't look like there's a homeless person living in a van. Um, I really have designed my van in such a way that from the outside, you would never be able to tell that someone is like living and sleeping in there. Um, from the inside, you can tell a little bit. And, and honestly, I'd like to get it to a point in the future where you could take a picture of the inside of my van on it at any given moment, practically, and you would almost not know that this van is being used as a camper van. The other big difference between myself and so many other people that live the van life is that my bicycles are a big part of what I'm doing out here. In fact, my bicycles are my job, my source of income, and my main passion. And because my bikes are so important to me, and because my two bicycles that I'm carrying with me are worth about $10,000 or more when you combine them together, um, I wanted to make sure that the bikes were never stolen. And at the beginning of my trip, I bought two Thule pro ride bike racks so I could store the bicycles on the top of my van. But I also knew that I wasn't going to want to keep the bikes on the roof of the van at all times. I knew that there would be instances when I was stepping away from my van for long periods of time and I didn't want to leave my very expensive bicycles just sitting on the roof of the vehicle out in the public drawing attention to themselves. So I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to have the option to store the bicycles either on the roof or inside the van where no one would be able to see them and they'd ultimately be a little bit more secure. So right away, I've got two very big things taking up a lot of space inside my van at some points in time. Luckily, if I lower just the one seat that's in the far right back corner of the van, both bicycles slide into that space and remain there even when the van is in transit, uh, thanks to two small bungee cords that I use to basically wrap, uh, th I wrap through the frame of both bicycles and then over to the seat belt on the right-hand side of the van. So I, I, there's little hooks on the seat belt that I put the bungee cord through, and it, yeah, it works great for holding both bicycles flush up against the right wall of the van. Now. This leaves me with a slightly larger empty space on the left side of the van where I can sit, work on my computer, prepare food, store some of my additional belongings, and at the end of the day, fold up my mattress and go to sleep. Overall, this setup has worked really well. Um, I don't really mind having the bicycles inside the van with me, and I certainly sleep better knowing that the bikes are safe inside the van. Yet I still wish that there was some way for me to store the bikes outside the van at all times 
without having to worry about them getting stolen. If the bikes were always on the roof, for example, I'd have a whole lot more room inside the van for food storage, a small kitchenette, or some of the other luxuries you oftentimes see in other people's camper van setups. Another big question when it comes to living and working and traveling in a van is where are you going to sleep each night once you're out there on the road? You know, when you're at home, that's your place that you own that domain. You, you can work there and eat there and sleep there and you don't have to worry about anything. But when you're traveling in a van every single night, you got to find some place to park that van. And that isn't always easy. So where exactly do I sleep? Well, like I said before, I've been on the road for about two months now, and as of yet, I have not paid for a single night of lodging, camping, or sleeping. Instead, I'm sleeping in national parks, state parks, and free campgrounds located on land owned by the United States government. Now, my number one resource for finding these free campsites is a website called freecampsites.net. That's www.freecampsites.net. And I believe it's worldwide. I'm not exactly sure, but in the United States, for sure, there's a whole lot of free campsites on that website. So you just go there, type in the area that you're hoping to camp in, and then you'll see a whole list of free campsites pop up on your screen. And, and it usually shows them with a map. So you can very easily identify which, you know, which campsite is nearest to you or whatever. Before I left home, um, I actually programmed all of the free campsites along my route in the American Southwest into the maps.me application on my smartphone. That's an offline mapping application that I use for my bike tours all around the world, and I'm using it now in my van life as well. So I, I basically took the GPS coordinates uh, from freecampsites.net and then transferred those GPS coordinates into the maps.me application on my phone. So now I can look at my offline mapping application at any time, even when I don't have internet, and easily find the campgrounds in my area without having to refer back to the free campsites website. So I'm very glad I did that at the beginning of my trip. It took a little time. I mean, it took me a couple hours one evening just to program all that in. But uh, ultimately, I'm glad I did it. It's become very useful just to have that information in the palm of my hand. Now, secondly, when it comes to where exactly I'm sleeping inside the vehicle, um, I don't have a dedicated bed inside the van like you would see in so many other camper vans. Instead, I use the rear two seats inside the minivan as my chair, desk, and food preparation eating area during the day. So during the day, I have I just sit in the rear seat of the van, um, and I've created this little desk out of wood that folds up and folds down uh, whenever I want to use it. And this is where I spend most of my time during the day, and, and even in the evening when I'm just sitting in the van and working or whatever. But then, when I'm ready to go to bed at night, 
I fold the rear seats of the van down into the floor and I lay out a large four inch thick foam mattress that I purchased on Amazon for about $80. And the mattress during the day is basically just stored in the trunk of the van behind the rear seat. So it's completely out of the way. Um, I fold the seat down and then I fold that mattress out on the floor. And the mattress is cot size, so it's not super big. It's not even twin size. It's cot sized and it's covered in a, a sheet. And then on top of the sheet, I put my sleeping bag and I have actually on this trip, I have two sleeping bags that I'm carrying with me. Um, both of which are down sleeping bags. One's a summer sleeping bag and the other is a winter sleeping bag. So I can use, uh, on my bikepacking trips, I can use whichever bag is appropriate for that particular bike ride, depending on the weather. And on a couple nights when it's been really, really cold, I've slept inside both sleeping bags at the exact same time. Um, so that is how my bed setup works inside the van is I have this seating area during the daytime. And then at night I fold the seat down, lay out the mattress and go to bed. And honestly, like this setup has worked really, really well for me. I, I don't think I would change that at all. Um, the mattress that I bought is actually really comfortable. Like I think it's more comfortable than my bed at home. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the bed setup thus far. Another thing you might be wondering about is like, how do you take a shower and go to the bathroom when you're living in a van? And to be honest, going to the bathroom is pretty simple. I either use public restrooms at gas stations, restaurants, cafes, supermarkets, or libraries, or I simply go to the bathroom somewhere in the wild, on the side of the road, in the forest, whatever. I do not have a toilet, a sink, or a shower inside my van. Now that might sound pretty extreme to you, but I've gotten a lot of practice going to the bathroom in the wild, thanks to my 17 plus years of bicycle touring experiences all around the world. So a lot of those skills from bicycle touring translate over very easily to living in a van, and, and that's true for showering and going to the bathroom as well. Now, having a van is nice, though, because instead of carrying only one or two rolls of toilet paper, like I might do on any one of my bicycle tours, I can now carry a 12-pack of toilet paper if I want to inside my van. And because I'm in a van, I have room for extra luxuries that I might not otherwise be able to travel with on a bicycle. For example, I've got a small spade, a shovel, uh, that I can dig holes with. Um, I think you know what that's for. And several small bottles bottles of hand sanitizer that I have at different places throughout the van so that I can reach them if I'm in the back of the van or the front of the van or whatever. So going to the bathroom hasn't really been a big issue for me over the last two months or whatever that I've been on the road. Um, however, getting a shower has been probably one of my biggest difficulties. Because I'm staying in free campsites on public land most of the time, there are no showers available to me. Now, I could stay in a privately owned campground and take a shower there. Sure, I could stay in a hotel, I could take a shower there. But I personally like really dislike private campgrounds most of the time where they like pack you in and you have a bunch of noisy neighbors. Um, so I've basically just been sticking to free campsites and taking showers when I can find them. 
So I've been on the road now for almost two months, and the truth is I've only had a handful of showers. So I'm probably taking a shower once every 10, 12 days, something like that. Now that might sound horrible to you, but the truth is it hasn't been that bad. Um, first of all, the weather at this time of year is cool. I'm traveling in the autumn slash winter. So that helps to keep my body from sweating during the day, which ultimately makes not showering for such a long period of time um, somewhat bearable, right? It's the same reason that this past summer when I was bicycle touring in Sweden, Finland, and Norway, I was on the road for a whole month and I took two showers or one shower for the whole month-long trip. And and really the only way I was able to do that, in part at least, uh, was because it was so cool that I just wasn't sweating during the day. At the end of the day, I was completely sweat-free. So um, same is true here. I think the other advantage to traveling in a van versus traveling on a bike is that you can stay a whole lot cleaner inside the van than you would if you were out on the road on a bicycle. You know, you're riding a bike, you're kicking up a bunch of dirt, cars are passing you, you're getting sprayed with exhaust. Uh, All that stuff sticks to your body um, and is a whole lot harder to clean off at the end of the day when you're on a bicycle tour. Whereas in a van, you're protected from the environment for the most part and... uh, you know, on the days where I'm not biking, it's pretty darn simple to keep myself clean. Now, most importantly, because I'm in a van, I'm also carrying a seven-gallon water tank, which I use mostly for drinking water, but I also use it to cook with, to wash my van with, and to wash my body with at the end of each day. Um, I, I even bought like a little spray bottle at Walmart or something that I used to spray myself down so that I can easily remove all the dirt and grime that's accumulated on my body over the last 24 hours. So I use this little like spray bottle, spray my face and neck, uh, spray my legs and between my toes, uh, all those kind of places, you know? Um, and then I use a towel and soap and stuff to wash up. So even though I'm not getting like a, legitimate shower every day. I am like washing with that spray bottle and with the water that and soap and all that kind of stuff that I have inside the van. And maybe in the future I'll add a solar um a solar shower or something to my van. Um I think that'll be in version 2.0 of my van life uh experiences, but for now I'm getting by pretty well with just the spray bottle and whatever showers I happen to be able to find along the way. Now, I should throw in here that laundry is another issue that you have to deal with when you're living the van life, and it's an issue that you have to deal with on bicycle tours as well. And again, I've come up with two very easy and obvious solutions to washing my clothes on the road. One, I go to a laundromat, a public laundromat, and surprisingly, they still exist. Um, and there's quite a few of them. You just got to keep your eyes open for them. Uh, once you start looking for them, you start to see them everywhere. And second of all, when I meet someone on the road, like I recently went and visited my sister in Colorado, I said, hey, sis, can I take a shower and can I wash my clothes, you know? And there's been a couple other people that have let me come over to their house and either take a shower or wash my clothes, which is really, really nice. So um, that's kind of how I'm doing it out here on the road. I'm keeping myself clean and keeping my clothes clean as best I can. For me, one of my biggest challenges with both bicycle touring and this whole van life thing 
is powering all of the various electronics that I am carrying with me. Now, because I plan to live, work, and travel in my van for months at a time, I knew that I was going to need a way to power all of the various electronics that I'd be carrying with me. My laptop, drone, cameras, GoPro video camera, smartphone, bike lights, all of that stuff. And when I'm on a bike tour, I usually just like go to a library or something and wait to charge up my stuff there. But I didn't really want to do that with my van trip. And so it was pretty simple based on, you know, seeing what other people had done. It was pretty easy, I should say, for me to determine that a solar system of some kind would be my best option for keeping all of my electronics charged while I was out there on the road. So I watched a bunch of videos on YouTube, read a few articles, and then I went to Amazon.com to order everything I'd need for my small off-the-grid solar power setup. I ordered a 100-watt flexible solar panel, a Renogy 20-amp solar charge controller, a 100-amp-hour deep-cycle battery, an inexpensive power inverter, and all the necessary cables. The total cost for this entire setup was somewhere around $600. It may have been $650 by the time I was finished, but yeah, something like that. And I'm not going to talk about the solar setup right now. I'll go into the details of that uh, in a future article, video, podcast here on BicycleTurningPro.com. For now, just know that my solar system works pretty well. The panel that I purchased is incredibly thin, and because of the way I have it mounted on the roof, like you can hardly even tell that it's there. And this is something that I greatly appreciate, because like I said at the top of this podcast, I really didn't want it to be obvious to anyone walking or driving past my van that... It was a camper van that I was sleeping inside and that I had all of my valuable electronics inside the vehicle. So it's very cool that the solar panel is up on the roof doing its thing during the day, charging my battery, and people from the outside can't really tell that it's even there. Now, that being said, because the solar panel is mounted flat to the top of the van and is not pointed directly at the sun most of the time, it means that the panel just simply isn't charging my battery as quickly as it could be if that solar panel were at an angle and was pointed directly at the sun. Now, this is why, since being on the road, um, I've since reconfigured my entire solar setup so that I can now easily remove the solar panel from the roof uh, whenever I'm stopped in a campsite, for example. And now I can position the solar panel when I'm stopped so that it points directly toward the sun. And this makes a huge difference when it comes to how much power I can generate off the solar system. With the uh, solar panel pointed directly at the sun, I have found that I can generate 3 to 12 times more amps than I would be able to with the solar panel mounted flat on the roof of the van. So 3 to 12 times more powerful simply by angling that panel directly toward the sun. Now that we're talking about like the solar panel and some of the problems I had with that, um, you might be wondering, have there been any problems with the van itself? And the truth is, 
yes, there have been a couple problems with the van, now that you mention it. Um, when I was in Flagstaff, Arizona, about a month into my trip, I noticed that the brakes on the van were suddenly not working as well as they had been previously. Um, I'd step on the pedal, and the pedal would go about 70% of the way down to the floor before the van would start to brake. And I knew that this was not good, you know? Braking is kind of important when you're driving a car at 75 miles an hour. So I took the van to this place called University Auto Repair in Flagstaff, and they looked at the van and they could see the problem, but they told me they weren't able to fix it and that I should take it to a certified Dodge dealer, that they were the only ones that would be able to fix it. And, and I thought that was kind of suspicious because I had watched a bunch of videos on YouTube and I was pretty sure that the problem was the master cylinder, that I just simply needed a new cylinder, a uh, new master cylinder, and that I'd be good to go. So even though they said take it to a Dodge dealer, I didn't want to do that because I thought it was going to cost a fortune. Um, so instead, I took it to a nearby brake master's. And they informed me that, yes, it was my master cylinder, but they also informed me that I needed to replace the struts on my van. I don't know. I don't even know what struts are, but I think they're like the thing that hold the wheels up. And the guy showed me how there was like oil leaking out of the front struts. And he said the back ones are better, but you may want to replace those too. So in the end, I ended up getting a new master cylinder and four new struts for my van. Don't even know what struts are. Total cost is about $1,450. Now, luckily, when I bought my used van at CarMax, I paid for the insurance. And I don't know if that was a good idea or not, even still. But I paid for the insurance, and so the insurance company covered a significant portion of these repairs that I had to have on my van. They covered about 900 something dollars. I had to pay about $550. So right away, boom, 550 bucks uh, out of my bank account. And on top of that, it took two full days for the van to be repaired. And because I live and work in the van, it was really awkward for me because like, I took the van to the place to get repaired and once I gave the van to them, I was homeless, you know? I walked around Flagstaff, Arizona for two full days just like going to the library, going to restaurants, working on my smartphone, you know, like I went and played some disc golf on those days. I was basically living like a homeless person and it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. I really missed having the van and my place that I could kind of call my own. So anyways, it was a very costly sort of experience, you know, two days, 550 bucks total. Um, but in the end I did get a new master cylinder, four new struts, and I was good to go down the road. Now, I think it was about, oh, a day later <laughs> that I drove to Page, Arizona. Page is a small city kind of at the border of Arizona and Utah. And I arrived in Page late at night. Not late at night, but like it was just getting dark. And I was kind of in a rush. I wanted to find a place to camp before it got dark. And, and so I drove out onto this dirt road just as it was getting dark in search of a place to camp for the night. It was once again like a free campsite off of freecampsites.net. And it was getting dark and I couldn't see very well. And I drove the van straight into some soft sand. 
And in an instant, I knew that I was screwed and I was stuck, you know? So I jumped out of the van and I started digging the sand out with my hands, basically, frantically, you know, trying to get my van free. And and I should say that I'm stuck directly in the middle of this small dirt road. So there's, if another vehicle happens to come, like they're stuck, I'm stuck, we're all stuck um, because yeah, the road is so narrow. So I'm trying to dig the van out. I, I had a carpet in the back of the van. I threw that underneath one of the tires. I threw like a cardboard box underneath the other tire. I tried to get out and no, like the wheels just spun and spun and spun. Like I was not moving an inch. And just as I was about to call a tow truck, this woman driving a big old four by four suburban came racing down the dirt road in front of me. And because I was stuck in the middle of the road, she couldn't get around me. Um, and I tried to explain the situation to the woman and I was hoping that she would be sympathetic. But the woman happened to be having a predicament of her own at that exact moment and was literally out of her mind. Um, just a few minutes before running into me, the woman had been walking her four dogs in the remote desert when one of the dogs ran away and never came back. So she was out of her mind, as I said, worried and panicked about losing her dog. And now she was stuck behind me, unable to move. So this woman was not in a good mood, let me tell you that. Uh, she yelled at me. She told me how stupid I was. She said I didn't belong there. She cursed at me in a way that no one has ever cursed at me in my entire life. And honestly, I've never heard anyone curse that bad at anybody ever, like even in movies. Um, she was out of her mind. Remarkably... I have one skill that I have picked up from my bike tours, and that is to, like, not flinch uh, whenever something is going wrong. Like, I am, like, the the world could be collapsing, and I'd be like, oh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and that's kind of how I was with the lady. I was just like, lady, calm down. Like, I'm sorry, I can't move. If I could, I would. <laughs> but anyways... So the lady is like yelling at me, cussing at me, her dog, she had, she had four dogs, she lost one of them, so there's three dogs now. They're all barking at me. It is really noisy, and, and I tell the lady, like, I'm going to call a tow truck to come and tow me out. And she says, no, 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 it's going to take forever for the tow truck driver to get here. Come on, let's get it out of here, we can get it out of here. And so she's yelling at me to get on the floor and dig. And uh, so I hang up on the tow truck company, you know, and then other people nearby who are camped out nearby, they start coming over and they're trying to help. Um, and she starts yelling at them and she's saying God awful things to these complete strangers who are doing nothing but trying to help. Um, I felt really embarrassed, to be honest, and I was apologizing to everybody. It was really a terrible predicament. And every time I tried to pick up the phone to, to call the tow truck company, the woman would start cussing at me some more, saying, Get down here and dig, you motherfucker! And uh, after about two hours of not being able to get my van out of the dirt, the woman decided that she was going to try to drive around me. And this was a terrible idea. Because if the sand in the middle of the road was soft, the sand on the side of the road was even softer. 
And I knew that, the woman knew that, but she was sure that her big suburban and with her desert driving skills, because she's so much better than I am, um, that she would be able to get around me on the side of the road. So she backed up, went really fast, drove into the sand, and ultimately got her vehicle stuck. So now she's pissed about losing her dog. She's pissed about the fact that her husband is going to be mad at her for losing the dog. She's pissed at me for getting stuck in her way. And now she is stuck in the sand as well. It's at this point that I run about a mile down the road because I had to get reception on my phone. That was part of the problem, too. Every time I tried to call the tow truck company, I couldn't hear because she was yelling at me. The dogs were barking and the reception was so bad that the call just kept cutting in and out. So finally, I just said, screw it, lady. I'm going to run down the road. I'm going to call a tow truck company. They'll be here in like 20 minutes and we'll be out of here. So that's exactly what happened. I ran down the road, got reception, called a local tow, tow company. Um, some like Native American Navajo guy answered the phone. He's like, you want me to come and pick you up? I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, he's like, okay, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And, um, yeah, 20 minutes later, there he was, um, kind of a short, stout, uh, Navajo middle-aged man, maybe 60, 50, 60 years old. And, uh, yeah, he had a little truck. It was actually a much smaller truck than I thought it was going to be. But, yeah, he, he uh, hooked a tow line up to the back of my van and pulled me out, no problem. I really wasn't stuck all that deep. It's just the sand was so soft that I couldn't get any traction. And then the lady in the big Suburban, she was stuck pretty darn good because she had driven off the road and she had tried to free herself so many times that she had just dug herself way down deep. So um, it was actually harder to get her out of the sand than it was to get me out of the sand. <sighs> it was one wild night. In the end, I paid the tow truck driver 50 bucks, which I was more than happy to pay, to be honest. Um, and the woman who was stuck in the sand as well, she was forced to pay $60 for her slightly more complicated tow. And I apologized to the woman for the, for the inconvenience, like a dozen times while she was there. But she offered no apology to me for like the terrible things that she said to me during our first few minutes together you know? Um, and initially like I was going to offer to pay for the woman's tow truck fee. Um, because ultimately like I was the reason she got stuck in the sand in the first place, but she was so mean to me that when it came to it, I just decided to let her pay the $60 fee. She, she was, she was offering to pay it. And I, even though I felt like I should maybe have paid it, I really just, let her pay the fee just for all the F-bombs that she <laughs> threw my way. Anyways, in the end, it really wasn't that big of a deal getting stuck in the sand. If I'd gotten stuck in the sand and that woman in the Suburban hadn't come down the road at that exact point in time, I would have simply called a tow truck, gotten myself out of the sand in 30 minutes or less, and that would have been the end of it. But because the woman showed up and because she was in such a foul state herself, my predicament only escalated. She not only got her vehicle stuck in the sand, but she delayed me from calling the tow truck for nearly two hours. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It was a fun night. Um, not. 
But yeah, I guess that's the price that you ultimately have to pay if you decide to live the van life. Like things are going to go wrong with the van. You're going to get stuck sometimes. Um, I think I've definitely learned some lessons from both of these experiences. I need to learn more about vehicle maintenance. That's one thing. Um, and secondly, I just need to be more careful <laughs> with the roads that I drive down, especially uh, driving down dirt roads in in the dark because that was that's how I got myself in trouble. I just couldn't see if the road was soft or, or hard or not. Um, and that's how I got stuck. So now that you've heard about some of the uh, disadvantages, let's say, to traveling in a van, what are some of the positive aspects or advantages to traveling in a van? Well, the truth is there's a lot of positive things about traveling in a van versus traveling on a bicycle. For example, you can carry more food and water in a van. You have a near infinite source of power thanks to the solar setup. Uh, the van is warmer at night compared to sleeping in a tent, for example. Um, you can store a whole lot more things in a van and you can cover distances that you wouldn't be able to cover if you were traveling on a bicycle. That being said, I think the biggest advantage that I've received from my van life travels thus far is the fact that traveling in a van allows me the opportunity to easily meet up with people I might not otherwise be able to meet up with if I were traveling in some other way. For example, when I was in Sedona, Arizona, I got pulled over by the uh, sheriff there, and uh, he actually is one of my Bicycle Train Pro readers who recognized me on the road. He pulled me over, and I thought I was getting in trouble. And and he says, uh, are you the Bicycle Train Pro? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, I listen to your podcasts and watch your videos on YouTube, and I'm trying to get my wife to go on a bike tour with me. So I met him, and he gave me his number, and we kind of stayed in touch, and then like we organized a couple bike rides actually together in the Flagstaff area. And yeah, it was just the fact that like because I had the van, I was able to drive across town, meet meet up with them, go on this bike ride, um, you know, and leave a lot of my other personal belongings just back in my van or whatever. I didn't have to carry everything I owned with me on our bike ride. And so that was really nice. Um, just simply the fact that because I had the van, I was able to meet up with him at a later point in time. Again, um, one of my Bicycle Train Pro readers named Christian, I also met him in Sedona, and we met up in Flagstaff as well um, on, a, on another occasion. Again, partially, at least, in part because I had the van. And just recently, when I was in Flagstaff, actually, Christian from Sedona and I, we climbed this mountain called Humphreys Peak. It's the highest mountain in the state of Arizona. The peak is at 12,633 feet. And uh, so we climbed up to the top of that mountain. And while we were at the top, we met this other guy and another girl. And the girl's name was Becca. And we took a picture, all four of us, together. And for what I kept in touch with Becca and the other guy. And and um, anyways, Becca started following me on Instagram, following Bicycle Touring Pro on Instagram. And she saw that I just happened to be in Colorado. And for whatever reason, even though I met her in Flagstaff, Arizona, she just happened to move to Breckenridge, Colorado. She's working at the local ski resort there. So I was only about 45 miles away doing my bike thing. 
and she messaged me and said, hey, you should come up here. We can go on a hike or a bike ride or something. Now, normally, I get those kind of messages all the time on my bike tours, like people messaging me and saying like, hey, I'm only 100 miles away, come and visit. But on a bicycle, 100 miles, or in this case, 45 miles or 60 miles or whatever it happened to be from where I was to Breckenridge, that's a very long ways on a bicycle. That's a full day of cycling there, a full day of cycling back, not to mention the time in between, you know, if I stay there for a day. So that could be a three-day trip just to go to Breckenridge and see Becca and come back, right? But because I had the van, I drove one hour to Breckenridge, went on a short hike with Becca in the mountains outside the city. I went over to her apartment afterwards and took a quick shower, which she was kind enough to offer after I told her I'd been five days since I last had a shower. And then I drove back to Buena Vista, Colorado, which is where I had been staying the night before. So had I not been traveling in a van, there's no way that my second meetup with Becca would have ever taken place. I would have been forced to say something like, I'm sorry, I realize we're extremely close to one another, but it's going to be too far for me to travel uh, to get to you on my bicycle. Um, I'm sorry about that. And and that's usually what happens on my bike tours. People reach out to me and say, hey, I got a free place to t for you to stay, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's away from where I actually am going. And so I just don't go there um, because it's too out of the way. But with a van, things that are out of the way are not really that far out of the way. So for me, I think that's like the biggest benefit that I've received thus far with having the van is just simply the fact that it's enabled me to go and meet up with people um, that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to meet up with. And like I went to visit my sister, for example, I wasn't planning to do that. Um, she lives a lot further north than I was ever planning to go. But just one day after talking to her on the phone, she just said, hey, you know, me and my boyfriend, we got the weekend free. You should come on up. And I was like, well, I, I guess I could. Like, I have I have no other obligations holding me to this place or time. So I hopped in the van and drove to Aspen, Colorado to visit my sister. So, yeah, that's it. That's the biggest advantage I've received from living in the van. Now that I've been on the road for almost two months now, there are several things that I think I'd like to change or do differently in the future when it comes to my van life travels. I think my biggest issue at the moment is storage. I simply don't have enough places inside the van to keep everything I'm carrying with me, namely my food, which is honestly taking up a whole lot more space than I thought it was going to. I'm carrying quite a bit of food with me at any one time, and it takes up a lot of space. So in the future, I think I'd like to add some cabinets or find some additional storage somehow to keep all my food and other accessories kind of sorted and out of the way. Second of all, I want to improve the solar system that I already have installed on the van. Like I said before, I, I think the 100-watt solar panel that I have on the roof of the van right now is simply not enough. I'd like to add at least one more 100-watt solar panels in the future, as well as move the solar setup from the right-hand side of the van to the left-hand side, because I think it would be easier to access. The... Uh, power inverter, which is where I plug in uh, my electronics, is over on the far right-hand side. And when I have the bicycles inside the van, it's really hard for me to, to reach over to that outlet. So that's what I'd like to move over to the left-hand side if possible, um, just to make that kind of easier to reach. 
So that's it. Those are my uh, thoughts on van life living at the moment. If you have any questions for me about my camper van, my soccer mom camper van, what it's like to travel in a van, the bicycles I'm carrying with me on this particular trip, or anything else relating to my van life bike tour across the American Southwest, leave a comment down below. Or reach out to me through any of Bicycle Touring Pro's various social media platforms on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, or Tumblr. I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have, and I will continue to share the lessons I've learned from my bicycle touring and van life adventures on my website at bicycletouringpro.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you have a great day. And I hope to see you out on the road sometime soon.